Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Underachiever Sports Podcast. As you know, this sports podcast will be covering all our Tampa Bay and Orlando, basically the Central Florida area sports teams. Today is Saturday, August 10th. We had some Buccaneers football action last night around 7.30. We also had a Tampa Bay Rays Late game in Seattle on the West Coast. Tonight we will have another Rays game at 10 o'clock, which I will be recapping tomorrow, as well as an Orlando City MLS game, which should be coming on around 7, 7.30 tonight, as I do this podcast at 12.30 on Saturday. Last night was an okay night in Tampa Bay sports. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers fell to the Pittsburgh Steelers by a final score of 30-28. to However, your Tampa Bay Rays got a big win as they start their six-game road trip on the West Coast. Let's first go over this Buccaneers game last night. The Buccaneers got off to a good start with their starters in the game. Jameis Winston went 5 of 6 for 40 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions. Managed to not get sacked once. He seemed to get the ball out of his hands pretty quick, a lot quicker than I remember last year. I do like the coaching matchup with him and Bruce Arians this season. I think Bruce is a great coach. I do think we will see improvements in Jameis Winston. The other quarterbacks that came in the in the game was Blaine Gabbert and Ryan Griffin. Blaine Gabbert came in as the second stringer to replace Jameis Winston. Gabbert looked okay, nothing special. Six of eight, 50 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Didn't get sacked. Uh, he did what you kind of expect a backup quarterback to do, to do. He didn't lose you the game. He didn't win you the game. He just kind of made no mistakes and played a average game a lot of dinking and dacking nothing special uh for most of the game though we would see ryan griffin at quarterback for the tampa bay buccaneers he ended up finishing this game with a very high 43 pass attempts he went 26 for 43 which is not terrible it's not by any means horrendous it's a good amount above 50%. 50%. Threw for 330 yards. One touchdown, no interceptions. He had four sacks for a loss of 30 yards. The statistics, while they may seem good in certain areas, 330 passing yards is good, but he did throw the ball 43 times. One touchdown, no interceptions. You know, a good ratio. Four sacks for a loss of 30 yards, however, tells me he was holding on to the ball for a little too long last night. And, well, I do like Ryan Griffin. I think he's got a good throwing motion. The athleticism's not there, which, as a quarterback, by all means, doesn't have to be there. Guys of the likes of Tom Brady, um, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, they're not super athletic quarterbacks, but... They definitely have a good arm, and they're extremely accurate. Ryan Griffin, to me, his throwing motion looks very solid, but it does look a little slow. I feel like it takes a long time for the ball to get out of his hands. But 
he was very accurate last night. He hit the tight end plenty of times over the middle of the field and made a very good late charge at the end of the game to try to put his team in a position to tie the game with a two-point conversion. Unfortunately, ultimately, that two-point conversion would not be successful. In fact, I remember watching it. It was a terrible play call, I thought. I don't know what the end goal in that play was. It was a it was a fake handoff to the running back, but then he kind of spun moved to the other side of the field. Uh, it was it was a terrible play, and then he ended up wanting to throw it back to the quarterback, but it was just awfully done. The whole defense was already on that side of the field because they faked the run to that side of the field, and the quarterback faked like he was going to go to the other side of the field, which he honestly probably would have been better off just running it to that side of the field, but decided to make a U-turn, come back to the side of the field that the defense was already on, and throw it to a running back that was covered. So... Unfortunately, that two-point conversion would not go in the Bucks' favor as the pass would fall short to the running back. The rushing was nothing special. I mean, this team is just... This team does not have a huge running game. Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones would play. Not very much. Peyton Barber had three carries for 18 yards, which is six average. So, you know, it's an average of six yards a run. And Ronald Jones would have four carries for 18 yards, which is about four and a half yards a run. It was it was by no means anything special. Your leading rusher was Dare Agambola. If I'm not, I think I butchered that name, but he was the leading rusher with 10 carries. 34 yards and two touchdowns. But it was definitely more of a pass-heavy game in the Bruce Arian system as the team passed for a total of 57 balls between the three quarterbacks. 57 pass attempts out of the three. That is a lot of passing. And as a result of all that passing, you would see a lot of receptions out of the butts. Schnell... Had seven receptions for 119 yards. Longest catch was 30 yards. He looked good. Hudson also looked very good. Seven catches for 84 yards. I believe that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was the tight end. Yes, that was the tight end who had a very, very good game. Ooh, let me see one second. Schnell. Schnell was number 83. College, Illinois State, 5'9", 180 pounds. Definitely off to a good start in this preseason. We did get to see Godwin. He had two catches for 20 yards and a big touchdown. Definitely look forward to seeing him in the lineup come regular season. Would also like to see Ronald Jones. He got one catch for five yards with the four rush attempts. The Bucks did fumble the ball twice. They were both by Ryan Griffin. He fumbled the ball twice. Thankfully, only lost one of those. Only lost the possession on one of the fumbles. He regained it. Actually, he didn't regain it on the other. The offensive lineman regained it on the other in the fourth quarter after the ball was batted by like six different guys on the Steelers. It was a crazy play. Um, the Steelers definitely should have got the ball multiple times, but... 
Ultimately, the Bucks would land on the ball. Your leading tackler was Minter. He had six total tackles. Kevin Minter, LSU product. Second round pick back in 2013. Six foot, 250 pound linebacker. Uh, I will say the guy who impressed me the most on this Buccaneers defense just out of my eyes was Noah Spence. He did not have a good statistical game. He only had one total tackle, and that was it for the box score. No sacks, but I watched him in the beginning of that game, and man, does he put, does he put pressure on the quarterback. He never got the chance to get a sack, but I don't want to look at that as a negative because he was all around the quarterback, and he was doing a great job of pushing the left tackle off the block. And as you know, the left tackle should be one of your best, uh, should be your best defense, or excuse me, offensive lineman on your team typically, because you don't want your quarterback to get blindsided. And he was doing a fantastic job of pushing that left tackle. I mean, he wasn't even using many speed moves. It was a lot of just power moves and just being able to shove the offensive lineman. And I I thought he played a fantastic game for not getting the statistical credit. (sighs) Okay, so now with all that Tampa Bay Buccaneers talk out of the way, they will play again next week. I believe they play, I want to say it's next Friday. Let me check really quickly. Yes, they play next Friday, August 16th at 7.30 p.m. against the one of the other Florida teams, the Miami Dolphins. So you can check out that game. I will definitely have a report next weekend on how they played. But. Let's move on for now, and let's go on to the other local team that played last night, the Tampa Bay Rays. They played the Seattle Mariners up in Seattle to start a six-game road trip out there on the West Coast. They will play three games in Seattle, followed right by three games in San Diego to face the Padres. But let's start with the series at hand, the Seattle Mariners. The Tampa Bay Rays were 67, excuse me, 66 and 50 going into the game. They have a 35 and 22 away split, and they ended up taking the W in this one. Just a fantastic away split for the Rays this season. They have proven to be a very good team away from Tropicana Field. The Mariners came into the game with a 48 and 68 record, a 27 and 33 home clip. Not a tremendous home team, but a little better at home than on the road. The Rays would jump out to the early lead in this game. They put up one run in the second inning. That was off a Brousseau grounder. That was a fielder's choice, and Matt Duffy ended up scoring. Kiermaier was ended up called out on the play at second base. It was a first and third situation. It was a ground ball to the pitcher, Gonzalez. Gonzalez fielded it. He looked at third base really quickly to put Duffy back on the back, but he did it so quickly that 
Duffy basically kind of disregarded it. He just stood where he was. And when Gonzalez threw the ball to second base, Matt Duffy took off for home plate. He ended up scoring. When I was watching the game, honestly, I thought Kiermaier was safe at second base. But they ended up reviewing it, and they still called him out. Uh, Regardless, we did get the first run of the game. Thank you to Michael Brousseau for hitting in Mr. Matt Duffy. Then we move on to the third inning. And Jesus Aguilar would ground out to third, but that would score Tommy Pham. And that would put on the second run of the game. Jalen Beeks was off to a very good start in this game. However, he would run into trouble in the bottom of the third. Things started to get hairy in the third and fourth inning. He gave up one run in the third. Uh, Our old man, Malik Smith, ended up scoring on a Santana single to left. And then in the bottom of the fourth, he would give up another single to Shala Wright. It just seemed like he just started giving up a lot of people, a lot of hits, some walks. It just it felt it didn't feel as crisp as the first two innings. He was definitely struggling. The pitch count got really high. He was when they pulled him out of the game in the fourth inning. His pitch total was already, I think, in the mid to high 80s. So he was definitely struggle at getting people out. And he was struggling even more with doing it in a timely fashion. There was a lot of high pitch at-bats. And that did not get him to last very long in this one. Jalen Beast would only go three and two-thirds. Five hits, one earned run, and four strikeouts. They ended up putting in Poche for an inning and a third after him, and Poche looked solid, only giving up one hit and striking out every batter he faced. Four strikeouts in an inning and a third. He did look tremendous. They would end up putting Rowe in the game after him, who pitched one inning, no hits, two strikeouts. Anderson would follow him with one inning pitch, no hits, two strikeouts. I mean, the bullpen just pitched phenomenally in this game. Drake would come in after him, give up two hits, no runs, and two strikeouts. He would be the one to get the win in this game since he threw in the eighth inning. And the Rays ended up doing their damage and breaking the tie in the ninth. Uh, Mr. Pagan would come in for the save. He would give up one run, but we did have the three-run lead in the ninth thanks to G-Man Choi, who had a solid at-bat. Just a great walk. The patience, the level of patience that man had in the ninth inning with the bases loaded. To be able to draw a walk in that scenario. I mean, you just see most guys go up there and they're hacking. They see the bases loaded and they want to be the superstar. They want to be the one to hit the grand slam with the tie game. They want to be the difference maker. But I give a lot of credit to G-Man Choi. To draw that walk is just a phenomenal amount of patience and definitely such a team play. That was a winning play he did. And that would break the tie and make it 3-2. Kiermaier would score on the next play. Tommy Pham was ended up safe at first because the shortstop, Mr. Crawford, made an error. And then Austin Meadows would ground into a fielder's choice back to Mr. Crawford. And your man, Willie Ademis, would score which would make this a three-run game going into the bottom of the ninth. And like I said, Pigan would come into the game in the ninth to go on to save us from losing the game. 
so you would get a final score of 5-3. to three. Pagan did end up giving that one run, as I said. That one run was a solo home run to Ryan Court, the right fielder for the Seattle Mariners. But overall, you do have to like how this game went for our Tampa Bay Double Rays. Excuse me, the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm still an old-time guy. Um, You do have to like how they started this away trip. Six-game road trip, and you're playing two teams who are definitely beatable. I know it's on the West Coast. It's six games in a row, but you're playing two teams who aren't really playing for much right now. So you definitely want to jump on that opportunity, and I think the Rays did a great job. That was a great way to start off the road trip with a 5-3 to three win against the Seattle Mariners. Just a fantastic game. Very, very good night in Tampa sports if you are a Rays fan. As I said, tonight the Orlando City Soccer Club will be playing at 7.30. In the MLS, they will be playing Toronto. I will be watching that game, and I will have a recap tomorrow. I will couple that recap with a Tampa, Bay's re- uh, Tampa Bay Rays recap for Game 2 of their series against the Seattle Mariners. So you can look forward to tomorrow having a... Another podcast episode on the Rays and the Orlando City Soccer Club of the MLS. Like I said, when the Bucks play their game on Friday, uh, next weekend I will have an episode with them and how they do against the Miami Dolphins. So, I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. Have a good rest of your day and enjoy some soccer and baseball tonight.